T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes, Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. It's yours. The Cavaliers have never led in a game. Left wing three, and there it is. Donovan Mitchell with 61. Foul line left low. Drops a bounce pass for Mitchell. Steps back. Three ball. you got to be kidding me. It goes down the pipe. Donovan Mitchell is ridiculous. Mitchell pull up top side three. Got it! Donovan Mitchell with 69. Mitchell has played 49 minutes. He's got 70 points. 19 to 24 from the foul line and give him 71. What a performance. Well, Swirsk has called some, man. Because if I remember correctly, it was against the Toronto Raptors. Yep. That Kobe Bryant scored the 88 piece with... 81. 81, excuse me, with Chuck on the call. On Jalen Rose. On mostly Jalen Rose. The Ur-Jalen. Yes, little did we know that everyone in the world would soon be named Jalen. Do you ever see that commercial with Kobe and Jalen? Where so. Kobe's... We can probably find the audio for it, Mike. Kobe's in a restaurant. Like, oh, Mr. Bryant, you know, uh, how many olives would you would you like in your drink? And he's like, 81. Because okay. Jalen's walking by. <laughs> and, and so the guy's like, uh. He's like, no, nah, I'm just kidding. He's like, this guy gets it, though. This guy gets why I'm ordering 81. And Jalen is just, like, staring daggers through him. Good for him, though. Good for, good for Jalen for making fun of himself. Yeah, I agree. But, man. Things were not as great for um, the Bulls last night. They, as you said, Dan, and I think it's important to point it out because we we do often, in-game stuff is, is frustrating. The Bulls played such a great first half. Best half of the year. I, I agree with you. I, I thought it was from, from top to bottom, sharing the ball on offense, popping that thing around, active hands and feet defensively. I thought it was their best half of basketball all year. And it didn't mean anything because their margin for error is so small. They are always this close to disaster. I can't live like this as a Bulls fan. Now, the, the game was great. Like, I, was in, I, I didn't walk away from it. I, I was siloed watching the Bulls game. And I'm watching, like, man, the Bulls are playing great. And then you saw Donovan Mitchell. And I don't know what it was. And Stacey may have even mentioned the different look in Mitchell's eye coming into the third quarter. And then he was just in attack mode. 
Like, just was like... He realized it. He, this, that was a blood in the water. Oh, wait a second. Oh, none of you can stop me. Oh, okay. So my step back... Oh, now I've got you on the step back, and now you're leaning a little bit, and I'll get you that way. Oh, and now you think I'm, and I'm over here now. He is just... He, that, that, is, that is what a lethal scorer looks like when, when he's starting to feel himself a little bit. And the efficiency, too. Like, whenever you get a game like this, like you've probably got to be pretty efficient. But when you look at his line, 22 of 34, 7 of 15 from behind the arc, 20 of 25 from the line. He also somehow had 11 assists in the game. In a game where he scored 71 points, he also had 11 assists. Part of it is the Cavaliers, again, had six more threes than the Bulls did. And it's every night where they they need to win the free throw battle they need to win the opportunity battle by which i mean not allowing the other team to have more chances the bulls have to have more chances because they shoot twos so the math doesn't work when the other team has more chances than you do because night in and night out the other team is going to take and make more threes so last night to illustrate your point the Bulls were 10 of 33. They took a lot of threes. They just don't make them because they're not good at it. Last night, the, the, the Cavs weren't really good either, they, but they took 46 three-pointers. They were getting a lot of second-chance opportunities because of Kevin Love and, and Jared Allen. They, they, those guys were doing some things on the boards. But it's the way that you described um, the Bulls and their fatal flaw and how they seem to be just good enough to break your heart. Not good enough to really do anything in any sort of playoff scenario. And it was feeling like, oh, well, now that they've had these meetings and everyone's punched each other in the face, now things are back on track. It helped. It's better. It, with the exception of, of that Houston loss, they're playing better. Right but it still hasn't turned into significant movement in the standings and, and wins and losses overall. And, and there's nothing like this week is going to be like this, these next two weeks, I think is going to be rough for them when you start to look at who the opponents are. And I'm not sure what you do. I mean, I, I know what I do, but it, it'll be interesting to see what Acme does. And if they decide to, Really just say, we tried this, and we tried it as hard as we could. We thought that it would work. Obviously, we weren't expecting Lonzo Ball to not be a factor on this team. But you got to start looking at your your team as rebuilding pieces. Like, Alex Caruso has value. That's the name that keeps coming up. And there are many who believe you could get a first-round pick for Alex Caruso. I would... I would do that. Well, that would have to be the part of a larger teardown then if people will want to come knocking on the door for some other pieces here. But if if you could flip Alex Caruso for a first-round pick that you desperately need, it'd be worth a thought. Yeah, because, I mean, he's young enough that he could be a part of the winning here. But I also kind of know he's more valuable right now to a team that's ready to win Versus a team that's trying to win. And I do appreciate that in the year and a half that he's been a bull, 
there's a high level of basketball intelligence that he brings to the table that has been refreshing. But he needs to be surrounded with other guys that are like him or a superstar that can truly take advantage of of his gifts as a a tough on-the-ball defender, uh, a guy that understands defensive positioning and help defense, a guy that always plays 100%, knows how to not do stupid stuff on the floor, shares the basketball, like all the stuff that you want. Can, can guard almost any position. Yeah. You wish he were a better scorer, but that's all right. He's not. Before a team that's trying to win, like Alex Caruso in Boston, for example, like that, that, that ends up being a big deal. Alex Caruso in New Orleans. Milwaukee. I don't know how that's going to play. Might have to have a conversation. I'm just saying. I have a his, history understood. There, and there, are, there is not a single contending team that you can name that wouldn't find a way to benefit from him and have him, whether he's a third guard, a fourth guard, or however you want to use him. The team is like, yeah, you know what? Our first round pick's going to suck anyway because we're good. So Dallas, hmm, yeah, it takes a little bit of defensive pressure off of Luca. That's an interesting one, but you wonder now because Phoenix, with their injuries, they're going to be in the market more for scoring. Yes, they're already a, a terrific defensive team, but I mean, you could always be better. But I, I, I wonder if these conversations are happening and whether or not the Bulls are thinking about it this way. I don't know. They're, they're too, they don't say anything. They're inscrutable. We don't know. The only guy that does all the talking for him is Billy Donovan, for better or for worse. And he had to be careful last night because the NBA will come get you. Man, he ran right up to the yeah, line. Yeah, he did. This, that, that is a veteran coach. If you want to listen to a veteran coach knowing where the line is, he, he knew they were bad last night. Tony Brothers didn't have his best night. That's my dude. But he didn't have, he didn't have his best night. Suresh Mehta didn't have a great night either. So this is, this is Billy Donovan after the game and the officiating. I want to go back and look at the film because, you know, I just think overall the game and just watching it in live um, – was to be honest with you, hard to watch at times. You know, it really was. But you know, the the, the thing I'm anxious to see cause, you know, because you know, stoppage. I mean, just some of the consistency on the fouls. Okay. You know, what I mean, that was my thing. Is just the consistency. I'm fine. You know, I'm not. I, I very, 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 very rarely argue a call for another team. But when our guys are getting fouled, you know, um, I think that's. You know, I'm going to try to fight for them. Um, but I think the free throw was a huge, huge, huge factor in the game. And listen, it's been two games in a row. You know, DeMar obviously got fouled the other night against them. And I think the two-minute report will come out and say he crossed the line. And I could be wrong, and if I'm wrong, I'll apologize. But at least what I saw on film, it made it hard for Patrick to block him out because he was certainly across the free throw line before the ball hit the rim. And if that's the case, it's a violation. And my question it would be is, who's looking at that? And, again, if I'm wrong, then I'll apologize and say I was wrong. But it, if that's what the rule is, then clearly we're going to see that in the two-minute report. I mean, at the same time, the two-minute report. <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't do anything. It's, no, it's like, right, you know, right. we're sorry. We're sorry. But not sorry. But it could be three games in a row now. It could be at Washington. It could be the other game. And it could be this game. And that's unfortunate because um, I thought our guys battled and competed. And, again, we have to control. We can control, Joe. I mean, honestly, like, I'm not going to. You know what? we got to block out better. Regardless of the situation, we know they're going to miss. You know what? We got to go in there and get it done. A couple things. Apparently, Billy was listening to yesterday's show because I was Billy yesterday. Uh, number two, 
he's right. At the end of this, your guys have got to do their job. Patrick Williams has got to block out. You've got to make sure that the, the, the person that's on the heater, the person that's most likely to score the bucket, you can't let that person get the ball back. Whether he left early, and he did. He clearly left early. You got to get in there and, and be more physical than him. Well, you are, you're bigger, you're taller. You're way bigger. And you should just jump above him. It's one thing when Jared Allen gets that rebound over you where you've got a job to box him out and elbow him in the balls. But it's another thing if a guard gets by you. And, yeah, he was he was both feet in full double stride yeah. into the lane before the ball hit the rim. I mean, yeah. It wasn't even close. I mean, he was he knew what he was doing. I I am amazed at his ability to get where he wants considering his size speed ratio. Like I wouldn't call Donovan Mitchell one of the better athletes in the NBA. His first step is crazy quick. It is crazy. But he's a guy that just seems to understand where the points can come from and how to manipulate you to move where he wants you to move so he can get the cleanest look at a shot. It sounds like you know, when when you when you watch enough Stacy King, you know what I mean where he'll he'll say something like that's a score. That, 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 that's yes. a score right there. Treat him like a score. And you know exactly what he means. Demar is like that. 100%. And Demar is a little funkier. It's not quite as it's smooth as some others because DeMar's he's got to go through his things and the eyebrow fakes and the up and downs, but, but he's a scorer and uh, the, the, it's, it's jujitsu. It's using your momentum against you, using your commitment to make, no matter how you commit, you're made to be wrong. Right. You put in defender in conflict. Give the people the quiz that you gave me this morning. Oh, name. The other six NBA players. Did I get all six of them? I think I did. I think you eventually did, yes, with a little hint. No, you didn't get the last one. I didn't? No, you didn't You didn't get the last one. Huh. I gave it to you. Name the other six to score 70 or more. Anybody? Want to start firing away? Mike Rankin, you got a guess on this? We mentioned one. The other six players. One is, like, obvious because the guy... You know, and one we mentioned scored a hundred. The other six, and now the Donovan Mitchell has, has become the seventh player to score seventy or more in a game. Kareem, no. Hmm. <sighs> I don't know. What do we got? Wilt. Hmm. Well, we have. Well, we sure we know we have Wilt. We mentioned the other. We talked about Kobe. Yeah, Kobe. Correct. Devin Booker. Speaking yes. of Kobe. Hey, Cole. How you doing? How retirement treating you? It's great, man. It's great. Just uh, you know, a little writing, a little investing. Nice. So I don't know if you saw the thing on Twitter about your statue. Uh, you know, I don't pay attention to that stuff. Man. Yeah, I figured that. Me either. A drink, Mr. Brent? Yeah, I'll have a, uh, a, a vodka martini. How many olives would you like? 81. Really? <laughs> nah, man, I'm just playing. Just two. Joke for him. He gets it. <laughs> just a little joke for him. All right, so you got Wilt, Kobe, and Booker. I guessed uh, Maravich. 68. But he never got to 70. Correct. 68 was yeah, Pistol Pete's high. Yeah, I, you're right. I didn't get the last guy. Now I'm thinking back over the list. 
David Robinson. Yeah, the last day of the season. That was was it him and Shaq going back and forth I, that day where they were both trying to win the scoring title? I think so. And the and, and I don't know why it jumps into my head because it reminded do you remember yeah, eighty one eighty six, where Dave Winfield and Don Mattingly were vying for the AL batting title, and it got down to like tenths of thousandths. It was like three forty, uh, three four oh one two six to one two five or something like that. Some, I mean, obviously it wasn't like that. It was some crazy number like that. But yeah, David Robinson. The other happened in nineteen seventy eight. So. You can certainly be forgiven if you don't remember David Thompson. I got David Thompson, though. Yeah, but the other one is just a guy who is always a good guess when it comes to things like this, Elgin Baylor. Yeah, that's the one I didn't get and I should have gotten. So it's Mitchell, Wilt, Kobe, Booker, David Thompson, David Robinson, and Elgin Baylor. That's your 70 club. It's pretty awesome, right? And Michael Jordan would be very popular with the Australian Today Show because uh, his high is 69. (laughs) Nice job, Mike. Somewhere Rob Gronkowski salutes you. He's like, oh, nice. Nice, Michael. Nice. Hey, let's, uh, on a serious note, let's get some real information about what uh, was the, the likely cause of the DeMar Hamlin cardiac arrest last night. Because it is something, if you were a parent of a young athlete, it is something of which you should be aware. We could talk about this and talk about uh, prognosis, et cetera, with Dr. Adam Black, the Director of Emergency Medicine for Ascension St. Mary's Hospital and St. Elizabeth's, Me- Elizabeth's Medical Center. It's a long-ass title. It's coming up next on The Score. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for well-qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Bernstein and Holmes, middays 10 to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. When you bring CPR out, you're trying to help someone breathe. We're talking life or death now. That's, that's, that's totally different than anything that I've ever been used to dealing with on the field. I've never seen it on the field. Like, that's real. Like, this is what we do is just a game. 
when you when you involve life and death, it's it's totally it's totally different, and those players feel that. That was Booger McFarland on ESPN last night. I thought the network uh, across their coverage did a nice job last night. It did, did a professional and human job in dealing with the story. And the latest that we hear is that DeMar Hamlin remains in critical condition after suffering cardiac arrest on the field. And they restored his circulation on the field before transporting him to the University of Cincinnati Medical Center. And we'll have further details as events warrant. But... Let's talk about the the medicine of this with the director of emergency medicine for Ascension St. Mary Hospital and St. Elizabeth Medical Center here in Chicago. Dr. Adam Black joins us on the SCORE hotline presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Dr. Black, thanks for taking time for us today. How are you? Good afternoon. I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. I'd love to know if, if you were watching this live or if you were kind of catching up on it as the night went on no i i was watching it live i had just gotten home from a trip and uh we had it on um and uh the first replay was enough for me to be pretty convinced as to what happened was it uh, comotio cordis yes comotio cordis um it's a, a stunned myocardium and it is basically a perfect strike to the heart at a very specific part of the QRS cycle, the QRS complex. It, it, it takes really a lot of bad luck because it has to be a, a blow right between the second and fourth ribs on the left. And it's usually high velocity. And even then, 98% of the time, you're not going to be in this part of the repolarization complex of your heart. It's only 2% of the time that you're actually in that particular segment of the heartbeat and at risk for something like this happening. Wow. I, I, we hear about it a lot in youth sports, primarily because of how the the smaller, lighter body would just be more susceptible to an impact that could damage like this, No. That's exactly right. The average age for something like this is about 15 years old, and baseball is number one because of that thinner chest wall. It's just about the age where kids are able to hit a baseball 40 miles an hour or so or faster, um, and it takes a decent amount of energy. But as you know, it's velocity squared, so it's the small, quick projectile like a baseball or hockey puck as opposed to the you know, just amount of impact from from sheer mass like occurs in football. Considering that the, the medical staff that was on site seemed to do an incredible job, I'd love to know what you thought was important. Like if something like that happens on a diamond around the country, what are the important things that people should, should look to do? In theory... If you got a good look at it, and rather than a wide differential of, I don't know what happened, if you saw a strike to the chest and you were really thinking commodio cortis, the only thing that matters is how quickly you defibrillate them. Every survival curve starts falling off by the minute as far as how quickly you restore circulation. 
CPR is a good bridge, but even the best CPR restores like 30% of the circulation and extends your survival time. But it's all and only about delivering a shock. I was impressed by the speed at which the athletic trainers and then the doctors worked, primarily because usually when you see an NFL player lying there, the first thought is a neurological trauma. And you think, all right, well, can, are the extremities moving? But the fact that they immediately, that there was airway breathing circulation, real first aid going on, I, I, was, I was actually very impressed that it got that serious, that they recognized the seriousness that quickly. Well, and the, the most impressive thing is, of course, they didn't probably see the impact, and they certainly didn't see replays of the impact. It was easy for me to know that if, if I had seen that replay and they said go, I would go running out there not worried about moving the neck or protecting the C-spine or doing anything else. It would be cut off the pads right now and shock this guy. They couldn't behave like that because everything was in their differential. They went running out there knowing that there was a man down. They didn't see that it was the classic get up, take one step, and drop, and that he had been popped right perfectly on the left side of the sternum. They didn't see any of that. So they had to consider a lot more. As soon as they checked for a pulse, that determines everything. He was pulseless when they got to him. So they had to do CPR. They had to cut off the pads. And then the life-saving move is to defibrillate him, which is how they got his circulation back before they left the field. Typically, what would be the rehabilitation and treatment for the next week or so for a patient like this? Um, The next additional 24 hours or so is really the whole game. He, in theory, was an otherwise very healthy supreme athlete, I should say is, Um, and I, I... I I don't want to get into specifics of survival rate and chances simply out of respect for the family. Um, But the the goal right now is to see was there or was there not an insult to the brain during this lack of circulation time. And it will be decided by slowly weaning him off the ventilator and seeing how well he tries to breathe on his own. It's not an all-or-none thing, but... That will be a huge determining factor as to what type of recovery we're talking about. When they say that he's sedated, is the presumption that he's in is or is procedure to use a medically induced coma to lower the metabolic burden during recovery? That that is a a, a great thought um, and is potentially a factor. But to be honest, it's a good sign that there was enough motion or movement or agitation that he needed sedation if he had passed or or was not having brain activity they wouldn't need any sedation Mm. so the fact that they had to sedate him is a good sign because anyone with any sort of function left unsedated would be trying to remove the tube while we have you here and i thank you for taking the time to join us because i know you're you're busy in the middle of the work day but while we have you here, I need to bounce off of you my my new theory regarding the the concussion protocol. Lawrence, we have breaking news. Here. Yeah, this uh, from from the NFL. 
The NFL continues to be in regular contact with the medical team caring for DeMar Hamlin and also the Bills and Bengals organization and the NFL Players Association. After speaking with both teams, NFLPA leadership, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, informed the clubs today that the Bills-Bengals game will not be resumed this week. The NFL has made no decision regarding the possible resumption of the game at a later date. The league has not made any changes to the Week 18 regular season schedule. We will continue to provide additional information as it becomes available. Okay, so I guess they're they're, they're keeping options open, which is probably the right thing to do for now. Is but as, the, as but that discuss. game itself is, is not is, going to be redone at least this week. Right. They said they had a two day window. Okay, that that makes sense to me. But uh, while we have you here, Dante Pettis of the Bears cleared concussion protocol during the game, then didn't fly home with the team because he had blurred vision that maybe coincidentally had something was was just a mere coincidence with with the the hit to the head and i just i i'm getting increasingly frustrated with the how loose the filter is for for removing a player from the game due to concussion whether it's Tua Tagovailoa or somebody else what if they just said the moment you are evaluated for a concussion the moment you're in the blue tent whatever it may be you're out of the game is that doable um, it is certainly a good practice of medicine. Whether it's doable or not is a bit of a different question. Uh, there are late uh, symptoms with concussion at times that might not have been missed at the protocol or in the tent but developed later. But it goes to show that that simple screening tool is not an adequate marker, even if it's passed, as to whether or not they're going to have concussive symptoms later on that day or maybe even the next day. It would be the healthy thing to do to not play football. But that's out of the question. So if you are going to play football, it's a compromise but that would be a safe compromise. You would probably, because of how often it happens, think about having to increase the size of a team's roster. Yeah, that's kind of what I thought, that you make the active roster a little bit bigger so that in case you did lose players under Dan's idea, that, that you would be able to at least replace them on the spot. Um, Dr. Black, how could we do a better job with players that are aren't maybe aren't showing concussion symptoms but we've seen them take big hits to their head um the the best way i think would be tracking these sort of hits in the sense that a doctor with a private relationship with these players would be assigned to sort of be their their head and shoulders, so to speak, and and would track them and objectively try based on symptoms and when they occur to project a, a limit where they had the duty to say this person's had a certain number of hits in a year, a day, a month, a career. Um, the practicality of that would be tough and the confidentiality of these people because it is a medical condition would make it a little bit tough too. But Dan's idea that a good bell ringing means you're done for the game um, would would be a step in the right direction. Uh, it would it would uh, at least take that that chance of concussion for late developing symptoms and say we're not going to let you get hit in the head again today. That it rules out the possibility of second impact syndrome, which could be deadly. 
that's the biggest thing. My huge, my, my big concern is how quickly people get cleared to play when they knew that they did have a concussion. There should be a, a more mandatory period of of uh, rest than than allowing them to potentially be cleared. There's so much pressure on the stars to get back um, th- that there's just you need someone truly independent to stand up and say this guy is really putting his life at risk can can you walk people through that that don't have the medical expertise on why second impact syndrome is so dangerous during the recovery phase of a brain injury there are lots of electrochemicals histamines released and the brain is at a very frazzled place where tests say for about two weeks, another head injury has almost a multiplicative effect rather than the cumulative effect of regular head injuries, where you're, to lack a better term, you're in the bonus round, and these count times three. And you definitely need to put yourself in a position where you're not on a bike, you're not elevated, you're not moving at speed. Anyone can fall down the stairs or slip in the shower, but anything else that you do that puts yourself at an increased risk of banging your head is really disastrous. And the contemplation of being anywhere near of another football player is, is about as off the scale as it gets as far as taking risk. Dr. Black, thank you so much. It's appreciated. My pleasure, guys. That's Dr. Adam Black, the Director of Emergency Medicine at Ascension St. Mary Hospital and St. Elizabeth's Medical Center in Chicago. Full disclosure, also my first cousin. Yeah, I, I, was, uh, I was wondering if we'd be able to book him. It was not a difficult book. We'd be able to book him. Considering we just spent a week in Mexico. Yes, together. the trip that he came back <laughs> yes. from was the same trip that you were on, you jerk. Yes. Well, he's look, we were looking for Ray, we were texting, he's looking for a doctor. I said, I think I have somebody with actual expertise in such things. Quite the resource, and I learned a lot in inside that conversation. Also, Bears Meatball. Oh, you can hear it. <laughs> Long time Bears Meatball. Should we call him back and ask him if, if they should move Justin Fields to wide receiver? You should see, uh, no. <laughs> Trust me, the answer to that is no. (laughs) When we come back, we are going to speak with somebody who's been extremely busy and may have the latest information for us on what's going on in this developing story. And that is Bill's radio sideline reporter, Sal Capaccio. Going to join us next. Bernstein and Holmes on the score. Dan Bernstein, Lawrence Holmes. Man, Bernstein and Holmes, best show in radio. I love it, boys. Middays 10 to 2 on 670 The Score. Just simply the best. I'm very excited that compassion and empathy took over. When we talk about the game of football, especially a game that's important, it becomes about green. And you forget that it's more so about blood. That was Ryan Clark on ESPN last night. A lot of people distinguished themselves with some really, really good coverage last night. Careful coverage. And uh, one person who also was right in front of all of this as it was happening, taking it all in and describing the scene, joins us now on the Score Hotline, brought to you by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. He is Bill's radio sideline reporter, Sal Capaccio. You can find him on Twitter, at Sal Sports. Sal, thanks for taking time for us. How are you handling all this? I'm sure it's it's been a whirlwind. It has. Thanks. Uh, you're you're welcome for coming on. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, it's been a tough last, you know, I guess 
12 hours, whatever, uh, 18 hours, um, you know, from the emotions of last night to coming back home and then kind of reprocessing everything today, you know, in the moment as, as a reporter on the field, you know, my job is to relay information. I'm on the game broadcast and it's real time and I'm explaining what's going on in the field and I'm seeing it and I'm processing it there. But, you know, I, I get up today and, you know, I'm seeing some of the images that I didn't even see on the field last night that were on the TV that you were seeing. And I saw plenty, believe me, but, you know, now I'm seeing even more so of the, some of the players that were away that I, on the other side of the field and things like that. And now it's also, I'm sitting with it more today, right? So it's, it's processing it in a different way today, but I'm also doing a lot of these things to kind of keep people informed, these radio spots around the country. And to be quite honest with you, it's helping me as well, that I don't have to kind of think about this all day. Well, we thank you, and, and I was surprised when you said yes, but I'm thankful that you did. When was the part, as you're reporting on this, where you started to get more than you ordinarily would be concerned over an injury? There were a couple times. Um, so when he fell down, you guys all saw the video, he's standing and he falls down. When that happens, generally, you think head injury, neck injury, something happened, he got knocked out. Right, that's generally what you think. And I've been on the sidelines for nine years. It's my job to kind of watch for those kinds of things. Guys coming off, you know, limping, something like that. He falls down. Immediately I'm thinking, okay, somebody's hurt, must be head injury. Boy, he fell down hard. This isn't good. But then you see the Bengals players who were nearby calling for medical assistance right away. That's when it started to ramp up a little bit. Okay, this is more serious than normal. But you've also seen that before. And we just had a situation in Buffalo Monday night week two where Dane Jackson lay motionless and had a neck injury and had to be ambulanced off the field. And that was kind of the same thing. So you're still thinking in that regard. Then you start to see the emotion showing on players' faces. And it ramps up even more that you know that there's something going on here that's not your typical injury. Um, and you see the medical professionals working on them. Now, at one point, I saw a medical out there, and I thought to myself, boy, are they doing CPR? And I said, no, that, that, that just can't be. And I thought, no, they're probably just cutting off the face mask. That's what you do in a neck injury. Well, come to find out it was both, right? So he had CPR being performed for several minutes. They had to cut off the face mask as well. The moment that it got to the height, and, uh, the height of, okay, this is a tragic situation. This is completely like nothing I've ever seen before was all of the Bills team. I'm talking players, coaches, staff, everyone. They went out on the field. And they formed this big circle around DeMar. And you've probably seen some shots of it. They were locked in arms, hand in hand, hugging each other. But they were all shoulder to shoulder, essentially, in a circle. And they had DeMar and the medical team behind them in the circle. They were facing out. And the reason they were doing that was that so none of us, no one in the stadium, could see what they were doing and how they were working on him. And that told me how awful it was. So how do you then balance your responsibility as a reporter to keep the, your, your audience as informed as – it's a radio audience, too. So you've yeah. got to describe everything that you are seeing while also working through what you're feeling. Yeah, in that moment, my job is much more the former than the latter. But I'm feeling it. But my job is to not get caught up in the emotion as hard as that is. My job is to give the, give the audience the facts of what's happening on the field, to paint that picture. Um, there, I, I think that one of the things about this situation is there was so much confusion, guys. Right? Like no, one, no one knew what was happening next. 
And that's part of it. You're, you're, you're describing the medical part of it. And this is what I see. This is what I don't see. And I couldn't see anything because they have all these players around. But then all of a sudden you see the tears and the emotion fo- flowing out. And, you know, the guys in the radio booth, they're seeing it on TV as well. They're watching their monitors and they're, they're describing what they're seeing on the TV side. And then they're asking me what I see. And I'm going to tell them, look, I mean, I see Stefan Diggs crying. I see Jaquan Johnson with a, a towel on his face, completely bawling, being consoled by one of his coaches. And that, that hits home. And then the part that really got emotional for me was I turn around and at the, at the wall behind the Bills bench, I see a woman wearing a number three Bill, blue Bills jersey. And she says, oh, that's my son. I need to get down to see my son. Oh. And it was DeMar's mom. And it was hard because she couldn't get down on the field. And Bill's staff came over and, um, I'm sorry guys. One of the uh, security was over there for the Bengals and, um, they did a really great job to make sure that she could navigate, you know, to where she needed to be to go be with Damar and uh, be in the ambulance with him. And, you know, him and his, her and his uh, dad ultimately got in the ambulance with him. And that was tough and that was emotional and describing that and seeing that and um, being a part of that scene. It's just something I'll, I'm never going to forget. I know that. Sal, considering the picture that you're painting for us on what you're seeing from e- just even the, the, the bill sideline, did you ever think that they were going to play again? Because when I looked at the reactions of the of the Bills players, I said, there's no way these guys are in any mental frame of mind to go back out there and play. Well, I share that sentiment with you. Like, I, there, I kept saying, like, there's no way. There's no possible way. But this has never happened before. They always play, right? They always go out there and play. This is unprecedented. So what's crazy is I think the team – thought they were playing even though they weren't ready and probably didn't want to because it's what they do it's what you're trained to do since you're a little kid that something happens and you keep playing this is football and you, you know you're, you're there for your brother and your teammate and you push through it mentally and physically and you have a neck injury and someone goes off and you play the next play and you think about that person and you got to do your job and next man up and you think about that and I know Joe Buck said a couple times on TV five minute warm-up. I will tell you, I never heard any of that on the field. It might've been announced by the referee. I'm not saying he didn't announce it. I don't know if he did. I didn't hear anybody say five minute warm-up. What I will tell you is players were getting ready to play as much as they didn't want to. The defense was on the field guys. 11 players were on the field ready for a snap. They were waiting for a play to resume. Whoever told them that I don't even know if anybody did. I think they're conditioned to do it. That's what I think happened. They're conditioned to go out there and play the next play as awful as that sounds. Stephon Diggs was tears in his eyes, trying to get everybody together, get him up a little bit, get him to rally. He walked down to the field and he went right up to Saran Neal. And Saran Neal was playing for Taron Johnson, who got a head injury this series before that. And he went right up to Saran Neal, who had just been completely devastated and very emotional. And he put both hands on his face on each side. And he was looking at him and telling him basically, okay, you got to get ready. You got to get ready. That's the scene I was watching because everybody thought they were going to play. That's wild. Wow. So we know what the NFL is doing or not and what they have announced. What is happening locally with, with how, we, how we are getting news from the hospital, how the bills are handling what, you know, usually these teams are so regimented and in such a routine yeah. and everything's completely disrupted right now. How are the bills deciding how to carry on at the moment? Well, it's a good question because, um, you know, we're trying to figure out the same thing and there's still a lot of confusion, but I will tell you, Tuesday is normally a player's off day. Anyway, it's not a day that I would normally be at the facility. Normally I would for practice, but that starts on Wednesday, especially after a Monday game, you know, they're going to have Tuesday off. 
So normally would be expected to be there today. The Bills did just release a statement about a half hour ago saying that DeMar did spend the night in intensive care and remains in critical condition at uh, UCMC in Cincinnati. But they also said due to the ongoing situation, they will not hold any media availability today. I've also noticed around the league, teams that do have media availability normally on Tuesday are generally not holding theirs. I think the Chiefs declined today out of respect for um, what's going on here. Mike Tomlin did hold his, and that's because uh, partly because Mike Tomlin wanted to say something about DeMar Hamlin. He's known him since he was 12 years old because DeMar is from Pittsburgh. And I know Mike and DeMar have a very close relationship, and I think he wanted to make sure he said something on behalf of you know their organization and him. Um, going forward, I'm not really sure. I will tell you this. The Bills under Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean have been, especially the last few years, at the forefront of having re- of being very aware and cognizant of having as much and as many resources available to the mental health side of things to their players and their staff. I would venture to say that today is one of those days where they're going to make sure that everyone has that availability if they want to come in the facility, whatever they want to do. There's going to be some people, as you guys know, everybody, everybody deals differently, compartmentalizes differently. There's probably going to be players who need to go in today, who need to go see somebody, who need to talk to somebody. There might be players who don't want to go in, don't want to see DeMar Hamlin's locker and think about him and what they witnessed last night. Um, so I'm sure that that's something that they're going through right now, but they've been very, very good about that over the last few years. That's very important to them. Sal, this was amazing, man. Uh, thank you so much for giving of your time. And I know that, that that flight home was not fun for anybody involved, but I appreciate you telling the story and giving it to people so that they know everything possible that was going on. Um, excellent work by you, and thanks for jumping on our show. You got it, guys. Thank you. Appreciate it much. That is Sal Capaccio, and that was a pretty intense 40 minutes right there of, of radio. So with that, we, that leads us up to Tim Jenkins, who can talk some X's and O's, talk some quarterbacking. and It's been we, a minute since we've talked with Tim. Yeah, it has. Well, for me, I don't know if you talked to him last week no. or not, because I, I I don't even know. How no, we been. didn't. So, you know. Lots uh, to catch up on this. Yeah, there's a lot to talk to him about. We'll do it next here on The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.